Well, everybody, I'm really excited about today's interview with Laura Demke Kalik. Um, Laura, welcome to the welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, and uh, excited about it. And uh, do, do you just use the um, the initials for your, for the company, or um, you know, is it EPNA, or do you use the the full title? Well, we actually trademark EPNA. Okay, and that's really what we kind of go. Whether you call it UPNA or EPNA, it's it's basically those four letters. Yeah. Okay, so uh, everybody, Laura's from uh, is the founder and CEO of EPNA, which is uh, based in uh, the Chicago land, as they say. Laura, maybe just so everybody gets a sense for uh, who, you know who who I'm talking to today. Can you give everybody give us a little background in terms of what brought you to the industry, how long you've been doing this, you know, your career path. Uh, generally emergent services? Yeah, it was 1995, and I started with a company as a sales rep outside of Chicago. I used to take the L uh, Uh because a lot of people in Chicago don't have a car. Right. Um, So so, uh, I took the L and uh, would go out to Oak Park and would also take public transportation to and from appointments. So uh, you wow. can imagine that after, was, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can imagine uh, traveling for, you know, a bus, train and whatever. And then all of a sudden you go to an appointment and they're not there. Oh, so, oh, so, yeah. so yeah, that's how I started. And, uh, you know, shortly after that, I uh, opened a uh, an office in Cary, Illinois mm-hmm. and started boarding clients on many different platforms, you know, really wasn't just using one. And kind of got my feet wet that way. And then from there, I uh, had my portfolio that was sold out. And then uh, after that, after the portfolio was sold out, I uh, kind of just went on a, uh, a mid-sized bank uh-huh. and worked with them, Fifth Third, and right. got that corporate culture. And then went on my own again. And then also after that, went to Transverse and then okay. and now back on my own. Oh, so you've sort of been uh, full circle a typical, couple times. Typical industry story. <laughs> right, right. I know. But it's always so interesting, Somebody, yeah, you know, yeah. how people go from banks to their own to banks to their right, own. Right. And, and, you know, I always find myself at least the the most, uh, you know, resourceful and innovative always end up on their own in the end, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, once you learn so much mm-hmm. and, you know, the corporate side of it is right. um, you know, not always the best uh, for the merchants. Right. Or partners. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what that's what it's all about. I think. Yeah, and sure. that's what you learn when you're doing that too. Sure. So. Yeah. Well, maybe if you could help us, I'd like to. I really wanted to explore. You know, one of the things I mentioned to James, and and and, and I found this kind of interesting. We have not interviewed a lot of women on yep. this podcast. Yeah. You know, and so I wanted to sort of you know talk to you. We talk have a lot of you know similar questions that we ask people, but I wanted to specifically ask you to sort of describe your strengths and skill sets uh and how that has contributed to your success in in building EPNA. Yeah, I mean, I would say strengths would be just integrity. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I think that is a, a key differentiator in this industry. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, what the skill sets I, I feel and, and with our executive team, we we all kind of joke about it that we have like 30 degrees now because <laughs> uh, college degrees, you know, right, because right. you're constantly learning right. and things are changing. And, and I've listened to other of your podcasts and, mm-hmm. and you had some people talk about, you know, the POS and 
different things that kind of come up within our industry. And, and so you both know that you really have to stay on top of all of the innovation that is, you know, kind of encompasses this industry. Skill set, I, I have to make sure that I point out working, you know, with a bank inside a banking establishment, but also um, selling for a bank, you know, with, with TSIS transfers and TSIS, mm-hmm. that skill set and knowing that the customer is always first and right. they're handing you their trusted babies, you know, for mm-hmm. lack right. of a better word, sure. is really that skill set. I it's, it's very hard to find somebody that goes, you know, door to door that that can understand that. I mean, these are clients that are processing millions of dollars a month. You know, when you have a bank relationship and you are a trusted advisor and you have that integrity, mm-hmm. it doesn't it, it doesn't get better than that. Right. And right. Uh, and and that's really one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure to establish EPNA and do processing the right way. And it's the mm-hmm. right way for merchants, and it's the right way for partners, and it's the right way for agents. And and just really, we always, always say it in this office, there's no short-term gain. Mm-hmm. We want this to be a merchant that's boarded. They understand the process. They understand interchange. They understand the point of sale, the, the things that can be loaded on their, on their point of sale. We want them to understand a chargeback. What happens mm-hmm. in a chargeback? Mm-hmm. Um, we have somebody on staff that actually gets all of the chargebacks from all of our clients directly into her email and then calls the merchant directly before they probably even get it themselves uh-huh. and discusses that chargeback. So the skill set is really, hmm. it, it all goes back to the trust and the integrity mm-hmm. and being able to learn the next thing. So that's, that's really, I think, what stuff. really helped yeah. us. Yeah, sure. And and I guess that would be sort of one of the questions I was wondering, and I think you've kind of answered this in terms of what differentiates EP&A from other companies out there that are competing for merchants as well as for partners and agents, right? I mean, what you're saying is is that you put a lot into this integrity and understanding and helping your merchants. That's key. That's key. And I also – one of the first things that I wanted to do when I filed the paperwork – um, is to open a retail storefront for merchants, partners, and agents. Ah. Obviously, we're local. You know, we're 20 minutes outside of Chicago. Sure, but right. We are. Um, we're a, probably a two blocks away from the Northwestern Football Stadium. We're in a very, I would say, congested business district. Right. And we're a short. You know, we're we're by the L, uh, which is the public transportation, right. as mm-hmm. well as the the Metra. So we have the ability to meet merchants on site for them to actually touch and feel the products. To come into the storefront, right? Is that what you're saying? Instead of taking it out to them, they can come into you. They are coming in. And they set appointments or they come in, they just, you know, knock on the door. I mean, it's been an amazing experience. And really, from our partners' Mm -hmm. perspective, they know that they can go to our Calendly and book an appointment and have somebody and they have somebody available for them to analyze a merchant statement face to face. And I think the differentiating part there, you know, on top of that is I kept running 
you know, to new merchants that were referred to me by a banker, right. I would go into their location, and they would, one of the first things they would say is, oh, well, somebody signed me up so long ago, and I don't even know where they are. They don't return my phone calls mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And everybody that I meet now, I tell them, and, and our whole office does, is we're here for you. We have a location. Come on in. We'd love to see you, even if you don't have an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really our main goal with getting merchants on board is connecting them with other merchants that we have in our database. So um, a printer, for instance, you know, uh-huh. somebody that um, you know, sells ink cartridges or right. whatever it may be, we want to make sure that we refer business to our existing business, and that goes for our banks and partners. I mean, we oh, just yeah. received a very, yeah, a very large referral partnership um, that we signed, and the first uh, merchant that they referred over to us just because they had heard of, of us from other partners is a $400,000 a month religious content distribution. Wow company and so with that being said i mean it's it's great that they have that trust and it's it's i think that's really what we do here and what we try to to strive for yeah and i really like the idea of having the storefront oh I yeah mean, that's... so j- just out of curiosity laura i'm wondering i mean you know if you're going to have that and that's kind of part of your mission does that mean that your targeting is pretty much local there i mean is is it a local iso that tries to stay within kind of the chicagoland area or what's what's kind of your strategy as far as targeting the the merchants yeah, I mean, I know we're going to kind of go into national certification and all that stuff later on for our WBE, right. but really for our local merchants, our partnerships, and this is a flagship. Right. Um, we uh-huh. do have, we are boarding somebody that, that's going to be on our executive team in New York. Our goal is to have a New York office as well. Okay. And then eventually, you know, depending on how many banks and where they sign up, you know, we would have a Midwest location. So and so definitely we're not local at all now. Right, um, we right. have, you know, clients everywhere. But I think for our, you know, our large institutions that work with us or our partnerships that we've kind of boarded here, and it's five minutes from home for me mm-hmm. um, and another one of our executives, it just is a place that we, you know, kind of put down our roots, I guess, to make sure that we have it available. Well, so and it sounds I guess like, yes and no. It yes. sounds like that process can be duplicated. I mean, you know, maybe on yeah. a smaller scale, but it's like, you know, you talk about a New York location and then right. I'm assuming if you guys expand out, I mean, you can open a smaller version of that, right? And in, in other locations that are maybe not quite as large a metro area. Yeah, I mean, we our strategic plan and, and our business plan really is is to do that. I mean, that That's would awesome. be I yeah, it. I love it. The That's a great idea. Thing. Um, the problem is, is as everything that we kind of talked about in the beginning, the integrity and all that other stuff. I mean, that has to come in line as well. Sure. So we've been very strategically planning for those type of opportunities, but. Yeah. Very careful. Part of scale, isn't it? Gotta, making sure scaling with integrity and and maintaining control over your brand and your processes. That's uh, that's the biggest challenge for executives, in my opinion. It's always tough to to maintain your culture and your integrity and your systems while you're trying to scale up. It's very tough. Yeah, yeah. Our the the person in New York is actually with Vantive. Uh-huh. She's she's we're, so the people that we move going forward are definitely people that we know. Mm-hmm. have been, you know, vetted very well, know the industry very well, and so on. And, um, you know, and I don't want to, you know, kind of like talk about that before I really talk about two executives that kind of came on early on. Um, the first one is Esther Pochran. Esther was responsible for 
basically bringing on banks and uh, completing numerous RFPs uh, monthly, daily um, for Moneris um, and then, you know, with Harris Mm -hmm. and then with transfer. So she was my first phone call to come on board Uh because I knew that that direction is what we wanted to go in. Right. Um, And then shortly after Charlene Mitchell uh, and I have known each other for 15, 16 years, Charlene has a law background. She's uh, been I, in law. She was in law. Yeah. For I met her uh, recently and she's incredible. What a, what an interesting story in terms of the transition from legal to merchant services, mm, but yeah. she's very, she's huh. very astute. So she is. And that just, that's the integrity, right? Mm-hmm, that's, that's, mm-hmm. you, it, it's right or wrong. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so, exactly. Um, she's responsible for all the contracts and bringing people on. And, and, uh, she, she actually spearheads our agent program and um, and Esther spearheads the RFP program. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's great to have great people and uh, bringing on uh, somebody else from New York that has that same type of uh, you know background mm-hmm. is, is is key for us. Well, well, that's interesting, and it kind of leads me to my next question because I you know I know when I spoke with Laura and when I when I spoke with you when I spoke with Charlene, you know. I've been in this business a long time, as you have, and I remember the days mm-hmm. when you know women were rarely on the on the street or in the boardrooms. And I'm just curious, mm-hmm. as somebody who's been in this business now for almost 25 years, you you might have a sense for you know why you know what is it about this business that attracts men more than women? Do you think? Um, Great question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I you know I think the key reason why this business attracts more men. Than, than female is that um, there's not enough of, of female leadership. Mm-hmm. There's not, sure. you know, at my last position, I was, you know, very successful, but um, I went up to the president of a, of a company that was sold for $2.5 billion at, a, at the last conference I attended, and I, and I said to him directly, the lack of female leadership is a result of who you hire, basically, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And um, I think that one of the reasons starting EPNA was really to make sure, I mean, out of the three first executives that we hired, we have eight girls and two boys, right, <laughs> yeah. um, as children. As children, so, right. I mean, not, not the ones you hired, the- but they're children. <laughs> They're right. our own right. kids, you know. Right. So I mean, you look at that where you know, you know, my daughters come in and they see mom and they see you know what's happening here and mm-hmm. and Charlene's daughters and Esther's daughters and now Esther has two. But it's also good for my son and and Charlene's son and mm-hmm. you know Esther's grand grandsons. And so I think it's really important to see the shift a little bit, but give other you know other opportunity um, that that might be not in the space with other companies, mm-hmm. you know? So, sure. um, yeah, that's, that's basically, I do think there's a, there's going to be a change because, you know, sales is, is an interesting, you know, the sales cycle of, of merchant services is, is really a short cycle for a lot of merchants. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I just think it's about the resources that they have and if they know about a company like EPNA. Right. I mean, I can see a lot of agents out there that are, you know, Ladies that are like, you know what? This sounds really good. You know, so right, right. Just, they might not know about us yet. Sure, so we're hoping right. that you know our methods of 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 your. And thank you so much for this opportunity. But other opportunities to really get the message out there, mm-hmm. um, we'll give other people some chances too as well. 
Well, you know what? I have to add one thing to this, Laura. Sure. So it's so interesting. So as you know, like on Facebook, you know, your Facebook page, you can see, uh, you know, demographics and things like that. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And I mean, when I started my content channel, you know, 10 years ago, I can remember, you know, we, we would load in our custom audiences, like our email list and all that. Mm-hmm. And I would see that it was literally yeah. like 95% male, 5% mm-hmm. female. It was unreal. Right. Uh, and I will tell you today, it's like 65, 35. Okay. So, I mean, it's I've seen in the last four or five years, is a huge difference. Oh, in, yeah. Uh, you know, I think there, there's definitely a lot more uh, change happening. Yeah. Um, and so, I, yeah. I, you know, to your point, I think it just hasn't quite made it up to all the leadership levels yet the way it should have. Um, but I definitely think there's kind of the grassroots side, like you said, where there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of women out there that are just super professional, amazing salespeople, and they're finally mm-hmm. realizing, hey, there's this awesome opportunity that I could go in, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're doing very, very well. Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting. I just did a, a lead story for the Green Sheet on diversity, yeah. and and mm-hmm. I was really surprised. Uh, and in fact, that's how I met Charlene. And you know, I was really surprised. I kind of called out to a couple of my friends and said, look, I want to talk to minorities, women, you know, right. foreign nationals, you know, stuff like that. And I was surprised. My inbox was just brimming after a couple of days. Well, yeah. Oh, here, try this. You know, this is a, right. you know, and, and right. you know, and I talked to some people, you know, who said, you know, the D. Carawadra, who we interviewed about mm-hmm. a year ago. Yep. He's like, you know, when I joined this business 25 years ago, there were only two Indians uh, from India, mm-hmm. and I was one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. And you know, that it, was cool, right? And so, I mean, that, I mean, it's good that it's changing, right? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. because yeah. It, because of the merchant community out there is very diverse. The people who are selling to them mm-hmm. should be just as diverse. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, let me. I wanted to kind of circle back to this women business enterprise. I, you know, one of the things that I found really interesting about EPNA is that you had uh, gotten certifica- certification as a uh, woman woman owned business enterprise. Is that correct? Did I? Yeah. There's there's several of them, but mm-hmm. yes, that Cook County and the city of Chicago, and then we're also nationally certified through WeBank. W-B-E-N-C, uh-huh. and then we have the state of Illinois certification that's local, and then we have the airport concessions, which is the ACE, oh, that's uh, very cool. D-C-B-E, yeah. yeah, so that that to me is like the merchant services is, is flying all over that area, right? Right, so, of course. And, and Metro as well, so, so, so yeah, so if, those are the certifications. If, can you explain perhaps the, you know, for people who aren't familiar with this, you know, what's the mm-hmm. process that you went through to achieve these certifications? And, and what's the benefit? Why'd you do it? Yeah, that was the next question, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> so, <laughs> Might as well combine them. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> process and benefit, right? Right. Um, so process is not easy, right? It's, it's, it's really, you know, tracking back to how you started the company and mm-hmm. where the funds came from. Right. And, you know, you, you, know, you share a checking account with a significant other, it's, it's now an issue, right? Right. So it's, um, it's, it's a lot of that, but it's, it's really, um, I would say, in terms of collecting the information, I mean, you're talking tax returns, you're talking, you know, direct agreements with Verifone, direct agreements with Authorize.net. I mean, things mm-hmm. that really coming into the industry, I mean, usually people are agents. Right. Um, being, a, being a registered, you know, uh, having U.S. banks supporting us directly. It's, it's really a process that wasn't easy. It, it took a long time. Um, it actually started as soon as we filed our paperwork. Uh, Your incorporation? Your LLC. Right, okay. Yeah. So, um, but, but I think really... 
and and really, I guess that goes into the next thing, which would be about um, you know benefits, right? Right. Sure. It's it's only good unless you use it. Right. So, and and when I say that, we went through you know to the airport, or we went many, many, many times to the city of Chicago for bid opportunities, bid meetings, right? Mm-hmm. So you sure. go into these, just to give you a guess, if you haven't been to one, right, <laughs> you go into them and, you know, you, you give your card and a lot of other people that are looking to get a construction bid are in there. So what mm-hmm. your goal is, is just to give your card out to as many people as possible. Okay. Um, so if you look at a, another business that's, that's, say, for instance, similar to us, it takes time. Mm-hmm. Right. It sure. takes, you know, you going into the meeting, you, you, you know, being able to have a have a statement to give them to be able to to talk about it for a little bit and for them to be able to listen. So there's a lot of people that like I would see as everybody would leave, my card would still be on the table. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, oh, right. Oh, darn. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that's the thing. It's not about so the benefits. I think the 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 one benefit that I think is the biggest one is it puts us in a category that went through that rigorous process Mm -hmm. and was able to check all those boxes. And we look in the eyes of, you know, those governing bodies that, that we know our stuff, you know what I mean? Right. To say it any, any better than that. So I I think it just adds a little bit of a, um, of an extra. Mm -hmm. And um, as far as, as, you know, really what it's done for us is, um, you know, we, we've received several RFPs and, and one of the, probably the real reasons, um, or reason is because of that. Uh, so we'll see as we progress how important it is, but Uh obviously we'll, we'll make sure that we always recertify and, and, um, you know, it's, it's an easy certification once you're certified. Once you're certified, the research is pretty easy, I would imagine, yeah. But isn't there it's also, not, yeah. what, isn't there also, I mean, at least my understanding as these, <coughs> excuse me, de- designations go, um, I mean, there are like uh, the government, you know, you know, government agencies when they're awarding contracts, there's, you know, a certain amount that need to be minority or women owned um some corporations Correct. will have you know they you know put it into their plan to you know give so much business to minority or women so having this certification then gives you a leg up on some of on competing for some of those bids right that's that's exactly it that's okay. exactly it but the the message out there to those people mm-hmm. is is really the you know the work Right. So sure. to get out there, I mean, because you really can't get an RFP unless somebody has an email address, right? Right. Um, or somebody's heard of you, or they sure. see you on a billboard. Right. Right. So it's it's really it's you know I was certified in 1997 and 98 uh-huh. um, prior, and and I got one city contract um, for a lumber company that was that was great, and um, if I could could look back to my former self now, or as I look back to my former self, right. Um, I would say that I should have been more active, right? I should have mm, been out sure. there going to bid meetings and so on and so forth. But right. when because we have an executive team now and it's and it's other people that could easily go to that bid meeting and do that, mm-hmm. it's easier for us. Sure. I mean for a one person, you know, ten person show it's not as hard it's not as easy. But right, um, right. I think the more people you have on board that, that can talk that talk, mm-hmm. it, it's pretty good. And I do think having the banking background 
helps in a lot of situations, at least so yeah. far. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah, sure. And especially in, in the bid process because, you know, it's, it, the, 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 the government bidding process can be so convoluted. And, oh, it and, takes forever. And banks at least are <laughs> yeah. used to it because they're dealing with the government all the time. Right, <laughs> right, know? right. So. right. Well, and, and Esther's experience, so, you know, if somebody gets WBE certified, you know, but cannot write an RFP or has never even looked at an RFP. I right. Mean, we just completed in one and, and are a finalist that hopefully we'll hear soon. But um, the, the, the amount of effort <laughs> and oh, right. just her, I mean, she's got her degree in English, you know, and, mm-hmm. and some other things. But the way that it was presented, there's, there isn't anybody on Coca-Cola or Pepsi or, or you know, Xerox right. or, or um, Canon that wouldn't see that response and say, wow. You know, they know there's stuff. Oh, nice. So right. She, yeah, she's right. got, what, 15 years of doing that stuff. Mm-hmm, so um, mm-hmm. that's another thing, I think, the, another layer that you ha- you could be certified, but can, do you not even, even know how to answer a question? Exactly, on that report, right. Know, or, or and, that, and that's so key because, you know, these RFPs, particularly government RFPs, are so structured in such a way right. that you really do need to understand how government entities work. Uh, yes. It's kind of like, you yes. know, the old, I used to, tutor kids in college and i'd say you know just go get into the professor's head and figure out what he wants and regurgitate it back right, you right. Know, it's kind of how rfp is <laughs> right right you know? yeah that's a good way to put it that is, so. yeah that's it well, there's there's a method to the madness. For yes, sure. yes. Well, Laura, this has been so enlightening. I really yeah, appreciate really it. Really interesting stuff. Really interesting stuff. I'd love, um, you know, I know that you know there might be people out there listening today who would, uh, you know, like to learn more about EPNA and maybe learn more about uh, WBE and about you. So, um, where would you direct them? Yeah, I guess the best place would be to call me directly on my cellular um, or on our office. I, I would, I I would give the office number if I were you. Yeah, I always yeah. tell people, don't do the sale. Don't do the sale. People will just... <laughs> You're killing us here. Yeah. <laughs> Your cell will be ringing <laughs> off the hook. <laughs> that, well, hey. Well, we're... You know, that's the thing is, too, is I feel like when... You know, I, that's just how I am anyway. I mean, uh-huh. that just kind of sure. goes back sure. to having businesses boarded and wanting us to refer businesses to them. Like, they're doing us a favor by coming on board. Let's help you out, right? Right, sure. So I think, you know, in terms of anybody, um, our our office number is 847-859-6002, or my email is laura at com, and... The phone is forwarded to my cell many times, so if, okay. if there is a situation, and, and, and um, but no, I, I feel that I want to make sure if I can help one person mm-hmm. um, in this industry, uh, I'd be I'd be really happy to do it. And um, so, so thank you so much. And I do, but I do want to say one more thing. Do I have time to say one oh, more? Oh, sure, thing? of course. Go for it. Okay, the first bank that took a chance on EPNA uh-huh. is called the Leaders Bank, and they're in Oak Brook. That's yep. a, that's a poignant name too, isn't it? Yeah, I, I know that bank. Yeah, yeah. Is that great? So, so Bill Gleason is the president, um, mm-hmm. and an amazing guy. Chaz Hall was the one too. Uh, great guy that 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 uh, was there. And there's a a person, Rob Bricotta, that's that's no longer there. They actually is out out of the business, out of the financial business. But they are three men, right? Mm-hmm. And they took a chance on a WBE nice. business. Nice. And I got to say, you know, for for all the the females that we want to have 
the opportunity for. We have some amazing men out there oh, yeah, that, sure. that look at us to, to see how they could work with us to move the needle. And I just want to make sure that I do give them some credit because they didn't have to. Right. 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 And uh, they have really, really good clients. They're an amazing bank. So, um, uh, and we have many other banks that have done stuff, but they were the first ones that, that really did yeah. some stuff. So it's always something so special about those people that, that, uh, the ones that believe that, in you early on. Yeah, when, yeah. When, you know, it's like you get you get to a point in your career where, <clears throat> you know, it's it's more about figuring out which opportunities to say no to. Um, but yep. you have such a special place for the people who gave you a chance back when you were just trying to find somebody, anybody to say yes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, yep. and it also yep. and it also goes to the point that you know being a WBE doesn't mean you don't work with men. Well, it's of not course, like right. you know, it's, just yeah. hey, right. this is all girls. You know, it's like sure. we help each other out. And I think what what what's really what I got from the from what Laura said is you know, you know there. There's a lot of women out here who who right. can really contribute to this industry. Oh my, of course. And Absolutely. there's a lot that are doing it and I just give kudos to you guys for 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 doing what you're doing and um, um, I, I think I loved your idea of the storefront. Oh yeah, yeah, really cool stuff. Thanks again Laura, awesome information today. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. Hey, James, here's an interesting news item from GasBuddy, which is a website and mobile app that helps consumers find and pay for cheap gas. Okay. Uh, You know, as we all know, fuel sales represent a huge market. Americans spend an estimated – this number just boggles my mind – $1 billion a day on fuel purchases. $1 billion a day. $1 billion per day. That's a lot. That's a lot. So $365 billion a year or something like that. Basically, yeah. Wow. You know, Gas Buddy, which like I said, I I use it. A bunch of my friends use it, you know, to find cheap gas. Okay. They report – and they also have this, this program called Pay with Gas Buddy. Okay. Um, they report that of the nearly 600 drivers that are enrolled in this program, they felt that those 600,000 drivers fill up their tanks an average of 4.5 times a month and pay an average of $30 per fill-up. Okay. Which actually I think is probably a low ball. Yeah, I was going to say that seems reasonable. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I have a I have a Honda element right thirty dollars will fill that up but it will not fill up my dodge ram right (laughs) you know it's more like 60 so you know when you kind of like balance that out i guess 30 sounds about right but anyway so gas buddy this summer surveyed more than 1600 drivers on their fuel purchase payment preferences and just over half said they primarily pay using debit cards 37 percent said they use credit cards and the top reasons were pretty logical, you know, ease of use, cashback rewards. But the third one I thought was interesting, discounts offered for debit card use since it's like paying for cash, paying with cash, hmm. which is interesting because I don't know about you, but in my travels, I've never seen one like that. No, uh, it's it's so funny you say this. So I didn't know if you were doing this insider report today. Right. But uh, yeah, I actually am in the midst right now of finishing up a consulting contract where I've been doing extensive research on 
you know, in, in kind incentive programs mm-hmm. that include debit cards. Okay. Um, so it's definitely an interesting growing trend. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people are doing it. And I guess, yeah. you know, I mean, I live in Western Maryland where, you know, trends take a little bit of time to trickle yeah. to. So I'm sure it's in other areas, which is why sure. I found this very interesting because I think it sort of goes to the overall, you know, uh, cost of acceptance and merchants sure. trying to reduce their cost of acceptance, yeah. you yeah. know. And, and, you know, and it does make a lot of sense that, you know, why people would use debit cards. I mean, after all, there's a preference for not adding gasoline purchases to your credit card balances since right. most people revolve their credit balances, right? right? Right. There are also issues around credit worthiness to restrict credit card usage. You know, a report that the Federal Reserve issued back in May found that 37% of consumers earning less than 40 grand a year had been denied credit cards in the previous year. Across all income groups, nearly one in four, 23%, had been denied credit cards. And if you add on to that number, the um, those who received lower credit lines than they were expecting, it's actually closer to 31%. Hmm. Wow, which is you know pretty high, especially you know in, in the current economic conditions when we're, we're, we're pretty close to full employment and right. so forth. You right. know, right? Now, guess Buddy's res- survey results aren't really all that surprising. I mean, after all, Pay with Gas Buddy is a decoupled debit program, and it's safe to assume that most, if not all, of the sixteen hundred consumers surveyed came from the pool of six hundred thousand right who use that app. Right? Sure. But it does, I think, speak to what what we've talked a lot about on these podcasts, which is the rising interest among businesses and programs that sidestep steep interchange. Right. You know, and it responds to a consumer need since decoupled debit can be made available to anyone with a checking account. And it doesn't entail the credit checks and available credit restraints that are associated with cards. Mm-hmm. Uh Consumers uh, clearly prefer debit cards over credit cards, generally speaking. In 19, excuse me, in 2017, they made 69.6 billion payments using debit cards, compared to 48.8 billion using credit cards, according to the Fed's data. Hmm. And just a little bit of background: uh, decoupled debit has been around for a long time, since the early 1980s. Mobile Oil was the first company to introduce it then. And that program ran until Mobile merged with Exxon, and the program was dropped in the mid-'90s. And I actually, at the time, was one of the few people I knew who did that program. It was my mobile credit card, which if I entered a PIN, it would create a debit from my DDA. So so just for the listeners who may sure. not know, like, so decoupled debit, what does that mean exactly? Give us the... the... Well, it's, 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 it's decoupled from the financial institution relationship. So it's like an independent debit card? It's like an independent debit card, okay. like a, in the case of mobile, right? Mm-hmm. It was a debit card, or in the case of GasBuddy, pay with GasBuddy. It's, a, it's, it's a, an app in that case. Right. And it's an app that's connected to your checking account. Got it. Okay. So they use like a third-party processor, like a Dwala or one of those sure, companies. to do ACH. To do ACH. <clears throat> so right. basically, they don't need the networks. They just go through the ACH. To, to affect the debit, you know, um, you know. More recently, uh, Target has a decoupled debit card. That uh, Target Red card, 
Mm-hmm. It's a deep coupled debit card. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so this would also be, would this also include stuff like the Walmart money card and that kind of thing? Like pre, that's more prepaid. That's prepaid, right. Okay. So the prepaid, you know, you actually have to top up the card. I see. Whereas decoupled debit, it's like you're actually ACH in the bank account to get the money. Right. Got it. And, okay. you know, as long as there's money in the, you know, in the bank account, you're, you're fine. Right. And, um, you know, there's several convenience stores and gas station chains like Phillips 66, Cumberland Farms and Royal Farms, which are, I don't know if they're around every place else, but in the Northeast, they're pretty popular. They have decoupled gas. Um, Generally, these gas stations, as does Gas Buddy, um, give you cents off per gallon when you're using this payment method instead of a credit card or cash. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, they can afford to do this because decoupled debit transactions clear through the ACH, and the ACH is substantially cheaper. Sure. You know, um, typically ACH payments are assessed a flat fee, usually ranging from 20 cents to about a dollar and a half per transaction. Right. Uh, high risk merchants typically pay a little more, but still substantially less than they would. Right. You know, um, on, a, on a credit card transaction or on a network right. transaction. Right. And remember, you know, the other thing to remember is that recent innovations mean that it's now possible to clear ACH payments in a day. And once the Fed introduces round-the-clock um, settlement, intraday clearing of ACH payments will be real. Yeah, I mean, back, awesome. back in the 80s when I used the mobile card, I loved it because I could fill up on Thursday knowing I was going to be paid on Friday. <laughs> you know, I got right. sort of that float that people use. It's the same sure. kind of float that people use checks for back in the right. day, you right. know. So, you know, the bottom line here to me, James, is that, you know, there's probably not going to be a huge a groundswell of, uh, of movement towards decoupled debit. You know, after all, it has been around for 35 years and hasn't really secured a significant um, share, of, share of wallet yet. But I do believe it plays to both bud- budget-conscious consumers and merchants who are looking for cheaper alternatives to traditional credit and debit card payments. You know, and I think that all signs point to greater usage of consumer uh, consumer usage of debit cards overall. So we may see more of these decoupled debits coming out. So let me just see if I can uh, uh, restate this for a second to make sure, sure I understand. So, sure. so so, in this area, we have Sheets, right? So Sheets right. is our big gas station. Right. So what you're telling me is <clears throat> Sheets, because they're tired of paying the Durban Amendment 22 cents and right. all this, right? Right. Of interchange. So Sheets says, you know, we're going to come out with the Sheets fuel card, which they actually have. Maybe, which they have, yeah. It is a decoupled debit. I, it, I think I haven't actually applied for that I one. Either, so I either. But I know. did apply for the one at Royal Farms, and that okay. is. Okay. So the the rationale for this for Sheets is that Sheets says, hey, you know what? We could roll this out, and instead of paying the interchange, mm-hmm. we just have to pay the ACH to ACH the consumer's account when they use this card. Right. And then for the consumer, Sheets can say, well, we're going to give you two cents off a gallon mm-hmm. when you use this because they know that really they're saving eight cents a gallon right. in interchange. Exactly. Is that it? That's it exactly, in a oh, nutshell. Very interesting. I actually had never really thought about that. For, for whatever reason, that just has never come up in anything I've really talked about. That's really mm-hmm. interesting stuff. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. So, oh, Good stuff today, Patty. Very interesting. Thanks. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, 
NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So, Patty, because of my the nature of my business and different businesses, um, mm -hmm. I get a lot of questions about how do you train a merchant sales rep. Okay. Yeah. So today I want to talk about that and kind of the keys to training a merchant services sales rep. So I got the idea for this questions from the field actually on a recent trip to Canada. Mm -hmm. So I got a new consulting client that wanted a custom video training course. Mm -hmm. So part of that process in this case was, you know, what their team was selling is a little bit different than what I've done in the past. So I hopped on a plane, flew out there, went out in the field for a day uh -huh. uh, with the reps, walked into 40 or 50 businesses. Okay. Uh, and so- That was a busy day. That was a busy day, indeed. Um, and so I was thinking about that and just kind of the process of that. And a couple of thoughts occurred to me that I just wanted to share on here. So number one, if you're looking to train your salespeople, the first thing that you need is you need someone who knows how to sell. Oh, yeah. Now, I say this because- you would be shocked at the number of processors I talk with who will put a support person in contact with salespeople and the salespeople will reach out that are like maybe new. Right. And they'll say, well, what do I say when I walk into a business? And they actually will have a support person telling a salesperson how to sell and they've never actually sold anything. Sold anything. anything. Yeah. So like, what are they doing? Reading from a script? You know, it's like they're coming up with something that sounds good. And so a really funny example of this would be like six years ago. And of course, I won't name the name of the company, but I had an ISO six years ago. And the large company that we had that was like backing us up was doing some of the support for the agents. Mm -hmm. So I got this new agent who wasn't making any sales. I call him up. Hey, how's it going? Like, I, you know, no sales. What's happening? He's like, man, I'm out here prospecting, going into 20 businesses every day. And I'm like, well, then, you know, something's definitely something's not wrong. right with the pitch, yeah, you know? Right. I said, well, what do you say when you walk in? And he said, told me what he says. And I said, well, that's terrible. What do you What do you mean? Where did you get that? And he said, so-and-so told me. I said, you mean from XYZ Company? He's like, yeah. And I said, I don't think she's ever sold a merchant. So I actually called the CEO and said, uh, can you please not have your non-sales support people telling my salespeople how to sell? Right. Because, you know, I kind of know how to do that. So number one, make sure you have somebody who, who, when I say knows how to sell, like they have that sales ability, they've read sales books, they're into sales. It's in their DNA. Yes. Yes. Number two, make sure you have someone who has actually sold merchant services. Yes. So it's one thing to sell bicycles. Yeah. Right? You, you know, so many companies will bring somebody from the outside who was selling real estate or cars right. or insurance. Right. And they bring them in and they're like, okay, cool. We're going to have you train our salespeople how to sell merchant services. No. Yeah. Well, they probably would be great at it, but send them out in the field for three weeks. Let them understand what the yeah. what the scenario is like. Like to me, if you haven't sold at least 10 merchant accounts, you have no business training people how to sell merchant services. I agree. You know? I agree. So get somebody who, who knows how to sell, somebody who knows how to, who has sold merchant accounts, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Then you have to get somebody who knows how to train people and mentor and develop And that's people. really important because it that is. mentoring is is. Yeah. is key to keeping the momentum going. Well, and the interesting thing about it is that a, a great salesperson is not necessarily a great sales manager. Right. Because they're different skills. Sure. Now, I believe that every great sales manager is a good sales professional okay. or 
or has outsourced the sales training to somebody like me or, right. or again, many others in the industry we sure. can mention, right? So, you know, you've, you've outsourced it to a trainer, but like, you know, you have to understand that there are very distinct and separate skill sets mm-hmm. that you have to possess if you're going to train and activate a team of merchant services salespeople. Of course. You have to know how to sell. You have to have experience selling merchant accounts Mm -hmm. and you have to know how to train people. Right. So all three of those must be present within any sales team. Mm -hmm. Again, maybe you have somebody who's a great manager who is not a great sales professional. Sure. So you have another, you have a big enough team. Maybe you have a sales trainer. Right. And then you have a sales manager, right? Yeah. The manager is doing the day to day. And this is what I do a lot of times. I, you know, I'm not the, um, you know, anymore. I don't play the role of sales manager anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to do that. Sure. So people don't hire me to manage their salespeople. They hire me to train them. And then right. somebody else comes in and, and that person, you know, uh, is managing them. Sure. So sure. the idea is you can separate these things out. But the key I want to get across today is if you're trying to train and activate a sales team, make sure that whoever you task with doing this mm-hmm. understands how to sell and loves it, has sold 10 or more merchant accounts successfully on their own. Uh-huh. And loves training people and understands how to effectively take an idea and communicate that to others in a way that they can understand. And motivate them. Not yeah. only that they can understand, yeah, to but motivate them to action. To actually go out there and do it. Yeah. So yeah. just a few kind of, and again, I realize super obvious, but it was just, the thing that struck me is, you know, I'm on this flight and I'm thinking to myself, do you know how easy it would have been for me to cash the check from that big consultant right. consultancy? And they didn't ask me to come out there. No, you could have just written. I could have said, oh, I'm an amazing sales professional. Surely I can make a great training program that you're going to love. Right. But I realized that, well, wait a second. No, no, no. I got to go out and experience this because otherwise, how am I really, I don't really know exactly what this is like. Well, also, you know, in, in, in that situation, you were talking about it was in Canada, right? Right. Okay. So that's different from what yeah, you I sold. Built, I built my book in the U.S. Right. It's, it's a little gonna bit be, It's going to be different. I'm out walking into businesses because I want to experience that. I went out with some of the salespeople and talked to them. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so the idea is the, the right person to the training is, um, you know, going to want to know for sure that what they're saying doesn't just sound good, right. but it's going to work. Yeah. It's got to work and it's got to be proven that it's going to work. And that so. it addresses their pain, the, the merchant's pain point. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So just a few quick tips. If you're training a sales team, I wish you the best of success. It's not an easy thing to do, Mm-mm. but it can be very rewarding when you get it right. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.